Welcome to Movies to Watch Before the End of the World. Two film buff friends decide to spend their remaining days creating and watching the ultimate movie bucket list. A podcast filled with film discussions, movie reviews, and a healthy dose of juicy celebrity gossip. Cinephiles unite. We're going to need each other. Nadim, is that you? Okay. I... I I was like, I don't know if I should do that. And, uh, you know, I have been very hard on you about the visual gags. Yeah. And for the record, for our listeners who didn't (laughs) see what I just saw, Mitha said that with her eyes closed. I did. Which I feel really bad about. I feel really bad. (laughs) No, I don't think it's... Is it? Is it gauche? I don't know. It's not like a Helen Keller joke. I never found those funny. (laughs) I don't know if even you should say a Helen Keller joke. Okay, cut that out. (laughs) (laughs) No, I think I'll keep that in. (laughs) Yeah, you can come at me for it. I can defend myself. I can defend myself. I think it's fine. I think we'll keep it and then we'll go from here. Okay. Um, Okay, I'm not that person. I just want people to know that. No, Mitha's (laughs) lovely. (laughs) Thank you. Kind of sometimes when I want to be. sometimes. Oh, God, Mita, how are you? Oh, my goodness. I have been living and I have been breathing. Okay, good. That's it. Because, Mita, we have had something on our itinerary that I have been meant to talk about for like three weeks. Yeah, it's been on there, but then we wind up skipping over it for whatever reason. We go, we try to make small talk only 10 minutes and then sometimes we get really excited about things and things go longer. Sometimes we talk about Amanda Peet for like 20 minutes and who knows why. Leave her alone. (laughs) Leave Amanda Peet alone. This is the only platform I have to speak about my Amanda <laughs> Peet. That is very fair. That is extremely fair. Yeah. So I have been meaning to talk about, I keep on coming across, I don't know why, and some of them are old, but on my Facebook, I get articles from BuzzFeed. And a lot of them are recent, mm-hmm. but some of them are like old articles and they somehow like resurface for some reason. And I don't know if BuzzFeed is republishing them or it's just like the al- Facebook algorithm. Mm-hmm. But anyways, I keep on getting these lists of people complain about things that they hate in the movies. And it's things like no one says goodbye when they're hanging up a phone or, oh God, I wish I even like made a list because that's like the worst one. It's a dumb one. Should I find the link I... that you had sent me? <laughs> no, it's okay. okay. But you know what I mean? It's people complaining about like things. In it's the realistic and... things that they don't feature in yeah. movies yeah and i remember once like i was i was with a group of friends and we were like 10 15 friends at one time and i'm very fortunate many of my friends are very educated they're very smart there's a lot of like doctors and engineers and things and a couple of my doctor friends including my sister were like oh i hate in the movies where they're like where the diagnosis is so quick or this happens or that happens and i was just like do you people have any idea how movies work? Because you know what movie people hate is having to pretend like your career is important to the movie. <laughs> and here's my thing. Yeah. Is no one gives an ish about the science. No one gives an ish about procedure. Like that actually doesn't matter. And if you had a movie that went over medical procedure and went over like was hyper realistic, you would hate it. It's true. We are we are a community of people, and by community, I mean like the world. Oh, God, I hit the mic. I'm He's so, so angry. passionate, people. <laughs> we we are a world of people who are complaining about this, but at the same time, when movies are hyper real, we call them boring and slow, and we don't go see them. 
And uh, then you yeah. go put a billion dollars into the Avengers because that's so realistic. It pisses me off so much. It makes me so angry that people want to like, you want to nitpick and you also don't understand. And it's like, movies should, you know, be accurate and they should be this. No, man. A movie's prime focus is to tell a story. It's not to be hyper-realistic. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's meant to like have some level of reality to make it seem plausible, I guess. But at the same time, that isn't the purpose. And it's not just movies, it's TVs too. Like I've been rewatching Criminal Minds, which... Oh, okay, cool. Yes. <laughs> I'm sorry, Nadeem. Just, I was just, right before we recorded, I was telling him about this episode that I watched and now he's pretending like he didn't know. I wasn't sure if he would like follow along and we'd pretend like I didn't know. Or... No, I'm not a liar. <laughs> <laughs> I've been, re- as you know, I've been rewatching yeah. Criminal Minds, um, which I had watched in the past, but only ever got up to like season eight. So I kind of wanted mm-hmm. to do the whole experience. I am well aware that they can't get like DNA results that quickly. This is probably not how the behavioral analysis unit works at the FBI. That like yeah. the character Penelope Garcia can't hack into some system in like two seconds, but it makes for really entertaining TV. Absolutely. And there's the whole, like, there was the CSI effect, right? Like, when CSI was in, like, its height of CSI, people thought that's actually how forensic science worked. No, I'm well, I watch forensic files. Like, I know the real (laughs) stuff. (laughs) But that's you. But I'm talking about, like, the average person really did expect, like, forensic science to work the way CSI did Mm -hmm. and be as sexy as CSI was. Because apparently I read that, like, the number of people who enrolled in forensic science. Oh, I debated it as a kid. I was like, skyrocketed. Yeah, because I hate science though, so I couldn't oh, do it. I hated science, yeah. physics, law, mm, not have biology. But anyways, all this to say that shut up. If you're gonna watch a movie, <laughs> you have to like suspend some disbelief, man. Like I don't know what to tell you. It's really, really annoying. Yeah, it's really annoying to read these things, and then it's the conjunction of them. It's people complaining about things not being realistic, and then when a movie is realistic, not going to see it and yeah, complaining that it's too boring. boring. Exactly. Yeah. And mm-hmm. fine, I don't know if it's the same person complaining about the two, but it's society as a whole that is complaining about the two. So shut up and watch the movie. Yeah. Stop being so nitpicky. Yeah, exactly. I Rant got you. Over. Mita went go. to the movies. What did you see? Well, speaking of Marvel movies that you mentioned. <laughs> uh, okay, well, actually, I'll start with this. I almost debated going to a movie today before we recorded. <laughs> I know. It's I Tuesday. Like, it's it's Tuesday. Tuesday. Should I go? What but then I was see? like, nah, I'd rather like take a nap. Oh God, actually, I'm thinking of going like tomorrow. Do you want to go see something? Okay, yeah. Well, I'm, we'll I'm going to work at three. <laughs> I was thinking and then we'll of seeing... let our listeners know if we saw something together. Yeah, we should. I was yeah. thinking of seeing Candyman. That's what I was thinking of seeing. Oh my gosh. Okay, yeah. We should totally let's go. Let's see Okay, we'll go to the movies, but we'll yeah. sit apart. Don't worry, people. <laughs> I don't want to sit beside anybody. Fine. But okay. Anyways, what did you see? But I did on the weekend, I went and saw um, Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings, which is the newest Marvel movie. Um, I don't want to spoil anything because it is very fresh, but the movie itself is very fresh and there's some new new Marvel concepts that are coming in and with everything with like what's happening on Disney Plus with the TV shows like it's going in a really interesting route and if anything this got me really excited to see what's going to happen with um, Spiderman and with Doctor Strange which I know you so many people you care nothing about but I'm sure there are people listening who maybe do and I I would highly recommend 
I'm going to give it a seven and a half out of 10. And <laughs> I'm giving credit to Aquafina. She really stepped okay. up to the plate. She made me laugh, but she also had heart. <laughs> and um, Simu Liu, who is Canadian. Yeah. And from Kin's Convenience and did a very good job in it as well. I don't want to talk That's too nice. much about it because I know you hate That's it. Fair. So. It's very, but it's also very fresh. Like we don't want to ruin it for people. Just yeah. And you hate it. It's interesting because you're talking about how like you're super excited about the Marvel Universe and what they're doing. I'm super excited because it's award season is starting. It's happening. So all of like t- TIFF starts soon. Venice and Telluride just ended. There's some, there's buzz about like Kristen Stewart in Spencer. Spencer. Belfast is supposed to be great. Dune had its fr- a pr- world premiere. It's mm. supposed to be spectacular. There's some great movies coming out. Yeah. And I'm so excited. I so love this excited. time of year for movie watching. It's I really it. fun. I do want to say that the trail. Have you watched the trailer for Spencer? I have, yeah. I just feel like I'm worried that it's just going to be what he did with Jackie, which. Honestly, exactly what I was thinking. <laughs> yeah. It's especially because when I read, I didn't know it was by him, mm-hmm. but then I read that it was. And then I saw the trailer and I'm like, this looks exactly like Jackie. Exactly. And Jackie was boring. Uh, agreed. <laughs> it was a fine <laughs> performance by Natalie Portman and an amazing soundtrack. I love the score. But the movie itself was very boring. My favorite part of Jackie is the score. I don't yeah. quite understand Natalie Portman's accent. It wavers for it's me. A good, it's, it's a good question. Yeah. It's really cool. And then like Peter Sarsgaard as, yeah. yeah. Conceptually, the movie is just a little strange. I don't love his directing style. Mm-hmm. And I wonder if that's just his style. Perhaps. And now it's, he's just going to move it from Jackie Kennedy to Prince Diana. But we'll see. It's also named, ja- that was named Jackie and this is named Spencer. Do you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like it, it's, it's going to be it's very similar and numbers, I don't think yeah. I'm going to like it. But yeah. I also probably, it's probably because of my reservations with Kristen Stewart. But I mean, she's supposed to be the shining star of it, right? Well, we'll see. We'll See. We'll see. I will go see Spencer if it's available in theaters in Ottawa. Absolutely. There's so many movies that are coming out that it's like only in theaters. Only in theaters. So excited. So excited. But we had a movie that we watched this week. We did. Though. Did you know that we watched one? I actually didn't watch it. So we're just going oh, to okay. base it on what your opinion was this week. Great. <laughs> <laughs> no. This week we watched uh, another movie that I picked for you, Mitha. We did. We watched the Audrey Hepburn thriller. Yeah, I like how you said that. Thank you. Say it again. Wait until dark. Wait until dark. Wait until dark. So exciting. Yes. Yes. You want to give us the IMDb? Of course. So. Discro? The discro. That's what we're going to call it from now on. Um, IMDb describes Wait Until Dark as a recently blinded woman is terrorized by a trio of thugs while they search for a heroin stuffed doll they believe is in her apartment. Yeah, I mean, that's like, that's a gist. And that's a great description. Mm -hmm. Like, don't you read that and you're like, oh, I want to see that movie. I want to know what's going on there. Yeah. A doll? A (laughs) A doll? Heroin? (laughs) I wasn't really interested in the heroin. (laughs) I was. I thought that. A young Alan Arkin? (laughs) We'll get to that. Yes. But yes, Wait Until Dark was our pick this week. Yeah. So, Nadim, why don't you tell me and our audience um, why you chose Wait Until Dark? Absolutely. So, let me start at the beginning. Hmm. My history with Wait Until Dark is as follows. If you are Canadian, you know that there was a show on YTV called Are You Afraid of the Dark? I love Are You Afraid of the Dark. Right? I would, I loved Are You Afraid of the Dark as well. So Are You Afraid of the Dark was kind of like Tales from the Crypt for kids. And so it was like horror stories. Like it was short horror stories meant for like 
I'd say tweens is like the target audience. Yeah. And tweens in the 90s. So it wasn't sexual. It wasn't violent. It was actually very, very wholesome. Yeah. It wasn't like today's Gossip Girl. Yeah. It was not that. Yeah. It was... It was the show that appeared on Canadian television. It was called Are You Afraid of the Dark? Anyways, when I was younger, I, l- I loved watching it. And my mom would always say, oh, what are we watching? Wait until dark. And like my, mo- <laughs> my mom is a immigrant. She moved here from India and she's been here for 40 years at this point. So like she, she has been in Canada longer than she's been in India. But at the time, I thought she was just like making fun of Are You Afraid of the Dark? Or she didn't know it was called Are You Afraid of the Dark? And then one Saturday... I was looking through the TV guide. I'm, this is such an old story. I love it. I was it. looking through the TV guide and there was a movie called Wait Until Dark. And I was like, Mama, look, there's a movie called Wait Until Dark. And she's like, yeah, I know. That's what I kept on saying. And it completely <laughs> blew my mind that she actually she had a reference point. She thought you were watching the Audrey Hepburn classic yeah, Wait she Until did. Dark. Absolutely. So I sat down with my parents and watched. It. This was one of the first old Western movies that I ever watched, Wait Until Dark. And when he says Western, he means like the Western part of the world, not like cowboys. And stuff. No, yeah, like Western part of the world. So like from America, Canada. Yes. North I had American seen a lot of film. older Indian movies, but like I hadn't seen a lot of older like Hollywood movies. So this was one of the first ones I saw on TV and I loved it. I loved so much about this. And I was surprised that Mita hadn't seen this because Mita is a big Audrey Hepburn fan. Yeah. And an Audrey Hepburn fan, I would like to say... That isn't like a cliche Audrey Hepburn fan. I kind of oh, like thank Mita's. You. Yeah, like I don't feel like sometimes I feel like Audrey Hepburn would hate Audrey Hepburn. Oh yeah, she would. I think she's like she's become part of this like female trope in a way of yeah. like girls want to be prim and proper and pretty yeah. and wear like nice Givenchy dresses and admire Audrey yeah. Hepburn. But that's not what Audrey yeah. is. Yeah, and I think like, she kind of beca- she can make a trope. She can become a, a cliche of herself in yeah. many ways. And I don't think she would have liked it. Mita isn't that person, just to be clear. Because I know when I say she's a fan of Audrey Hepburn, it conjures kind of an image. And that's not who Mita is. But anyways, all this to say that I know Mita likes Audrey Hepburn. And she'd never seen this. And I actually think this is Audrey Hepburn's best movie. So I had to put this on the list. And when I was picking movies for this week, I wanted to pick something. I'm super tired. My baby, my house, all of it still. And I wanted to pick something fun and easy to watch. And so I was like, it's going to be Wait Until Dark this week. Love it. Okay. Love your explanation. Also love that your mom called, are you afraid of the dark? Wait until dark. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Because that's such a parent thing to do. Because the funny thing, though, is I told my dad that I'd be watching Wait Until Dark. And then I somehow made a joke about um, submitting a story into the Midnight Society. And he had no idea what I was talking about. He was like, what's that? And I was like, are you afraid of the dark? Like, do you not remember me watching this? But apparently he does not remember no, me watching not. it. So this is our, our tribute episode to Are You Afraid of the Dark? And that one guy who wound up being um, on the Weather Network. Yeah. <laughs> is a, also, it's such a specific Canadian reference. Are You Afraid of the Dark? Yeah. I don't think it appeared. This was before globalization was a thing. Ryan Gosling was in an episode. I may not be young. So just throwing that out there. There you go. But all of that aside... I want to hear, Mita, your thoughts on Wait Until Dark. Well, it's interesting to me that you bring up the fact that I do enjoy Audrey Hepburn. I think she's a strong female lead and she definitely she has those acting chops. But I think you're right. Like she's become 
sort of a, a trope of herself and like mm-hmm. people don't necessarily appreciate like yes she is those things she's prim and she's proper but she's more than that as well mm-hmm. and watching this my biggest takeaway is like i don't feel like i watched an audrey hepburn movie yes it's so different from any from all the movies that i have seen her in yeah and i'm still like i was like do i do I like her in this? Do I like this oh, representation? Because I, in a lot of ways I do. I think she does mm. a really great job of playing this blind character. And it's somebody who's newly blind as well. So it's not like she kind of is able to maneuver around her every day. But there's parts of it where I'm just like, there's a little bit of like melodrama there. That just seems mm. like it's too much. Yeah. But at the same time, I'm th- I'm trying to put myself into that position. Okay, if I'm a blind woman and I'm like, there are these th- three guys that are trying to hustle me. Like, what am I doing? What am? How yeah. would I act? How would I behave? Yeah. Um. And so I I don't know where I've like landed on that. But the movie itself is really entertaining and really uh, like a good summer movie. You should have chosen this earlier. Because, oh, really? <laughs> yes, this is great to just like sit and watch and enjoy. It doesn't require like too much thinking, and then. Again, it's a thriller and a mystery. So you're just along for the ride the whole time. And you're trying to figure out, like, what's going on here. And so, like, not of its time. Like, I wouldn't. Yeah. Yeah. Like, watching, I was like, this is 67. Like, it feels more maybe, like, late 70s, early 80s to me. Yeah. And I was wondering, do you know how well it did, like, at the time? Did people receive it well? It was a big movie, yeah. It was it big? It wasn't, like, okay. huge, but she was nominated for an Academy Award for Best Actress. They did such fun things with marketing back then, like, mm-hmm. such interesting things. And you can find this on YouTube, but with the theatrical trailer, they have a warning, a stipulation that comes up that says, the last eight minutes, the theater would be dimmed to complete legal <gasps> darkness in the theater. Because most of the that climax takes place in abject darkness. Yeah. So they dimmed the lighting as low as it could legally go. They told people don't light cigarettes, don't turn anything on, because it's going to add to the drama. And apparently that that little like paragraph that they wrote and put over the trail the trailer, it hyped the movie up and that was it. I love that so much. Such like little things that you could get away with back then. Like they did things like that with like The Exorcist and like I think they did things like that with Rosemary's Baby. But like building hype, you're doing such small, classy things. Right. And like meanwhile, I went to the theater the other day and there's a sign outside the door that says like, if you're going to see Candyman, there are images like with flashing lights. So if you're yeah. prone to seizures, don't go and see the yeah. movie. Like, that's I'm like, what oh, have to where's now? like the mystery anymore? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And like, I feel like. Let them have a like, seizure. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Let someone just end up in the hospital. And you miss those kind of things. Like you don't have them. And like, this is like, it's kind of like the closest to a 4D at the time, I guess, mm-hmm. like experience. And 4D movies are garbage. I saw it in 4D and it was just such a, it was such an expensive ticket and then such what a waste of time. Like it yeah. was just not good at all. Mm-hmm. But that, I, I remember like reading that little, like that little detail and being like, that's so cool. That's I so totally nice. wish I could have been there for that. I love that. Oh, what a dream. What a dream. Yeah, but yeah, I totally agree with you ahead of the time. And I totally think, Anytime I think about this, I actually think late 70s. I forget that it's 67. Mm-hmm. So it's before a lot of movies. Like the 70s was a pretty solid era for movies and solid era for movies I really like. But this is really, it's really old. And the whole style of it, the everything from like that opening sequence 
with the doll being cut open and the like on the and red being silk at the airport. and the airport and the way the credits come up and everything feels very like modern and cutting edge and it's weird because it's 2021 and so this is a movie from 60 years ago and you're still like it feels modern for its time it kind of felt for me like if i was watching a movie today i'd be like oh this is a movie that's like doing a throwback to this to the 70s like yeah yeah and then realizing oh wait it's like right at the 70s that's it's like what right it at that mark is. yeah exactly. yeah and maybe that's just me like being so young not being able to, <laughs> sure. to put it into that idea or into that box but i did have some issues with the plot because okay maybe i just didn't watch it properly but why how did they know to go to that apartment why did they go to that apartment so this is how I've okay. So before we, bef- before I will answer your question, but I have this is one thing I want to say about this movie. Yeah, is that watching it this time? I love Wait Until Dark. I think it's such a fun film. It's like you're saying. I hate to use the term Mita, but it is a bop. It's, it's a really I, you don't enter- like that term. <laughs> I hate that term. Oh, but but it's, it's a, bop. a very it's a very fun film. It's a really entertaining film to watch. It's also based on a stage play. Oh. Oh, I would love to see this on a stage. Yeah. So it's based on a stage play that opened in New York. And then mm. the whole time I'm watching this, I'm like, this would be an amazing play to watch. This would be so much fun as really like a good. play to like sit there. And you can now, like now that you've seen it and you're watching through it in your head, you're like, oh, of course this was based on a play. Like that's how the whole thing is set up, like in this one apartment. That's kind of the idea. One thing I have about this, though, is that the story that they have to contrive these three con men who are trying to get this doll back from this blind woman played by Audrey Hepburn. I find yes. it so convoluted. I find there's, it like yeah. all the, there's so many things going on and I always not lose interest, but I'm always kind of like, like when I watch it now, I'm like, okay, let's get to the good part. Like, let's right? get to the, like, let's get to act three when things get really good. And like, she starts to pick up on what's going on. And like, you have this like notion of where things are going and it's great. But, that middle section, I'm always just kind of like, okay, let's let's get through it almost. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't mean that I, I actually just, I actually quite like this movie and I highly recommend it. But that midsection, I always just find very fatty. Well, it's just like kind of unnecessary. Even having three of them feels unnecessary yeah. for me because your main character can't see them. So like, why not have, so to explain to our listeners, yeah. Um, there's three men that are interested in finding this doll. So the first two men that we meet are Mike and Carlino. And I don't understand why they're in that apartment, how they got. So they know Sam. Sam is the woman who smuggles the heroine over from Montreal. Shout out to Canada. <laughs> over to New York. Sam is a man. No, Sam, Sam is, is her the husband. Woman. Oh, wait. They know Lisa. Lisa. Sorry, Sam. <laughs> her name is actually Samantha Jones. In real okay. life. So they know Lisa. Yes. Yeah, From Sex they know in the Lisa. City? Yeah, I don't know why her name is Samantha Jones. But anyways, <laughs> they know Lisa. Okay, yeah. Okay, so they know Lisa. Yes. And then they find Lisa dead in this apartment. Wait, do they? Yeah. That's what I don't understand. Do because they know Lisa or do shows they know up. Sam? No, they know Sam. No, they know Lisa. <laughs> See, I don't even See? know. And it's... the thing is, I don't care. That's, the, <laughs> that's, like, that's a bit dangerous. And I, I completely recognize that, that it... I they know Lisa for sure. Their okay. connection is to Lisa. Okay. And I think the idea is is that Lisa was in Montreal smuggling over the heroin. She sees Rote and she tries to get rid of the doll. And then Rote kills her and then that's and then they they want to get the doll back. Yeah. So I think she was going to sell the heroin to the two guys 
to Carlino and they Mike. Show up. Okay. Yeah. That makes sense, but they don't explain that, Nadim. And they don't. And I'm sitting here. I've seen this many times, and I'm like, honestly, I don't I don't know, but I kind of don't care. You don't because you're and wind I d- up. And you know. I don't mean that in like a dismissive way. I don't care because all of it is meant to lead up to the climax, and all of it is meant to lead up to that showdown between Alan Arkin and Audrey Hepburn. Mm-hmm. And it, it ends up, whatever it is, being so worth it. But I, I just feel like, do we need the characters of Mike and Carlino there? I think it would be an even more interesting story if Rote was playing all three men or all three people trying to trick her into getting this doll. But I mean, at some points they have like multiple people, right? Like they have all three of them are there at once. Sometimes two of them are there. And the whole point is that they're trying to show that even as a blind woman, she's blind, she can't see, but she does pick up on other things that people don't realize. She has her other senses. Her other senses are actually heightened and they Mm -hmm. do a great job of highlighting that her sense of smell, her sense of sound, her awareness. when She's just like, why are people going over there? Like, why are they doing this? Why are they rubbing things down? Why is everyone playing with the blinds? Like, she's paying attention to things that people don't think she's going to pay attention to. And I've always liked that. I always love that part of this movie that, like, she goes blind shortly before this movie. And mm-hmm. she's essentially adjusting to life as a blind woman. Yeah. She has a husband who is an asshole. And she's an ass. he's an ass. I don't know why they're together. She has. Well, I'm real sure he of... wasn't an ass before she became blind. I think she became blind and then he became an asshole. Maybe. And they have this like codependent relationship and she's really needy. And like that, that their whole relationship bothers me. And it's quite misogynistic as well. Yeah. Which is a little strange for the time. But the for whole 67? point is, I guess so. That's true. The whole point is that like she goes from strength to strength and she she becomes stronger as a blind person because mm-hmm. of the situation she goes through. And I like how that happens because she does start off really meek. And then she does really like give it to Alan Arkin at the end. Like it's a great it's She's a great fighting. arc. She is fighting. She makes it work with what her limitations are. Yeah. And at no point are you like, well, of course, he should have been able to do this. He should have been able to do that. Like, he, she foils him in all the correct ways. But I think the best part is she's using what would be conceived as her weakness, her blindness, and not being able against to see. Him. And she plays it against him. Yeah. And he can't see what's going on at all. And then she wins. And it's so good. And it's so rewarding. <laughs> when she finally realizes what's going on and she breaks all the light bulbs in the house, yeah. I remember being like, oh, this is getting good. Like, feeling so excited for it. And feeling like, oh, she's... For her to think that quickly and yeah. be like... And the it feels authentic. Like, what a smart thing to do. <laughs> what a smart thing to do to be like, I'm going to put them in my situation. I have a weakness and now I'm going to use that against them. Yeah. And she's stronger in the dark than they are in the dark. Yeah. It's a rewarding film. Yes. It feels really satisfying to watch this whole there's, thing. There's a gain there. There really is. Yeah. Yeah. Now tell me what how you feel about Gloria. <laughs> <laughs> she's kind of a shit. But, what the hell is Gloria doing there? <laughs> Who picks lo- a 10-year-old kid to be, like, your caretaker? But, I mean, I guess if, like, again, in the 60s, right, if you're there, she's not her caretaker, but she's, like, a neighbor kid who's helping out. Who doesn't want to help out. <laughs> no, but I love the fact that, like, they play off each other. Again, these things that they come up with, and she's like, you go up there and you look out the window, and then you let me know. And it's such, like, it's smart. Yeah. It's smart, and it's cute, and it's... I don't know how else to describe it. It's a rewarding film. Like, you feel like you've watched something intelligent and well-written and fun, and not something that's trying to be anything other than a good, entertaining piece of film. Hmm. Like, it feels like it's it's doing exactly what it promises to do. And it feels like they all had fun when they were there, when they were shooting this. This doesn't feel oh like... Oh, my God, yeah. But then I was reading that 
Audrey Hepburn's husband at the time, Mel Ferrer, was a producer yeah. of this as well. And they decided to make this movie together to the try to salvage their attempt, marriage. Yeah. And then they divorced a year they later. Divorced. Yeah. But it's not great for marriages, but it's entertaining it's for sure. <laughs> so one thing I want to talk about is it's interesting that you mentioned the movie being melodramatic at times. Mm-hmm. I find Audrey Hepburn to be a melodramatic actress. Yeah. And... I can totally see that. I I can get that from other roles as well. I don't know in this. And maybe I just haven't watched many of her movies like in recent times. Like I didn't feel that way when we watched Roman Holiday. Yeah. But watching this, there's a whole scene where she's like crying, but there's no tears. Yeah. And it's just her like wailing. And I'm like, okay, like like, calm down, lady. (laughs) All right. Yeah. And I'm like that that just seems so disingenuine to me. And I was like, that's not the Audrey I know. But she also is not she's not the person that is gonna cry on cue for you. That's not her no. her acting style. She's very like present and very realistic, but I don't think she can get to those like emotional touch points with things. I don't think she's a great actress, if I'm being honest. I think she's fine. Yeah. And I but I also think there's like I don't think there's many people who can do what she does like who can be so simplistic but still captivate you and a lot of that is her her face for i'm like i'm sorry to say it but it yeah a lot of it is her face and she's very like captivating and charming and there's not a lot of actresses at least in the 60s that could do that i think that's what she's like best known for and i'm trying to think of present day people who still have that sort of like charm and but i don't think can't think of anybody who like is just so captivating in that way I don't think this is the the right comparison, but Nicole Kidman is kind of someone who comes to mind. But she has a lot of talent to back up that face. She's incredibly talented, yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I don't think Audrey could do the roles that Nicole has done. Absolutely not. I don't think Audrey, again, is a great actress. I don't think, I can't think of a single Audrey movie where I'm like, yes, I was blown away by her performance. But then there are also their roles that aren't anything that you would want to be like blown away with. But even, Mita, if you consider charm, like, if we're not talking about, like, big roles with, like, big kind of moments and mm-hmm. what Audrey was great at, like you're saying, was charm and presence, which yeah. I think that's fair. I don't know if that's... Let's look at, like, Breakfast at Tiffany's, for instance. And we talked about Breakfast at Tiffany's, I think, when we did Roman Holiday. Yeah. It's a boring film. It's not my favorite, no. No. I didn't love Roman Holiday. I know you have a, a love for it. You love Charade, Charade, Charade. I do love Charade, yeah. My Fair Lady? Yeah, like, it's it's there. Yeah. <laughs> I love um, Funny Face. Yeah, but none of these movies, are you loving them because of Audrey? Funny Face, yes, but I don't think you've seen it. I haven't seen Funny Face, no. <laughs> she winked at me, guys. <laughs> I do. I actually, I love original Sabrina. Oh, okay, yeah. That's yeah. true. That's fair, actually. Yeah, and I think she does, like, she does a good job of that. I think that's probably the exact line she can tow. Like, yeah. original Sabrina doesn't require, like, a crazy amount of acting. It is largely charm and presence. And it's Billy Wilder. Like, that's what you're yeah. supposed to give, right? It's that's not what she does, yeah. It's not going to be this, like, dramatic role. But she never really took that. To me, I feel like she just was, like, a model-turned-actress, but, like, a respectable model-turned-actress. Not like an Elizabeth Hurley, but <laughs> yeah. do you know what I mean? <laughs> that's fair. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, that's, that's true. I... I guess Audrey Hepburn to me has always been underwhelming. Mm, that's and, and that's a fair assumption. I think she's and that might be because I my first Audrey Hepburn film aside from this mm-hmm. was Breakfast at Tiffany's and I was so 
disappointed by that film and I never I don't think recovered from my Audrey Hepburn disappointment you mean you didn't go to New York City and make sure that you ate a croissant outside of Tiffany's (laughs) I did (laughs) so my wife and I went to New York for our honeymoon yeah and on our second day there I took her and we had breakfast outside of Tiffany's (laughs) there you go she she put that on you she She inspired a movement Because I will say, like, yes, her performances can be underwhelming or even her choices in film, but she's had this power in in culture. Like, people still remember her all these years later. And, like, young women today, too, like, if you said Audrey Hepburn, they'll know what you're talking about. Yeah. And I guess she made Givenchy Givenchy. Yeah. In many ways. Edith Head. No, I guess Grace Kelly and Edith Head were really. Grace Kelly, too, yeah. Yeah. That's fair. I love Grace Kelly, too. But this I've always found to be Audrey Hepburn at maybe her her strongest film. Yeah. Like it's a film that she really carries and it has nothing to do with Audrey Hepburn being Audrey Hepburn. There, well, there's also a lot of meat to this character. Like yes. playing someone who is blind when you're not blind is challenging. Which then got me thinking like if this movie were going to be made today, there's mm. no way that they would be able to like hire a non-blind actress oh to play this it's role. so annoying. Such uproar about it. It's and so I don't necessarily that. think that that's fair. It's so annoying. I just <laughs> literally, while I was waiting for you to get ready, I was just scrolling through Facebook, and there's a movie, this movie by Jane Campion coming out, something about the dog, okay. and Benedict Cumberbatch is playing a gay character in it. And the mm-hmm. article is about how he talks about playing a gay character because he's not gay. And I'm like, who gives a shit? Like, why can't, why do? Why are we getting like this? Because by saying that he can play... Like- but then by saying that he can't play a gay character because he is identifies as a straight man, are you saying now that gay men can't play straight, play straight characters? Straight men, exactly, yeah. Like, we're really putting people into boxes. Mm-hmm. And that defeats the purpose of acting. I don't and you know what's going to happen is you're going to start limiting what kind of stories you tell. Because if you want to talk about making Wait Until Dark today, and the whole point is find a blind actor to do it, how?! Like, where are you going to find that? But here's the thing. Like, okay, we don't know what that process looked like when it's hiring the actor that's going to be in that role. So did you have Benedict Cumberbatch up against, you know, an actor who is gay? And did you do screen tests? And did you see, like, who was a better performer? Who had better chemistry with so-and-so? Who did, like, you have, we don't know that stuff. You're just basing it off of the fact that you're seeing this one person being casted in this role. I want to actually get the name of the movie. The Power of the Dog. The Power of the Dog. Yeah. Kirsten Dunst is in it and she's just <gasps> amazing too. Kirsten so Kiki! <laughs> yeah. She's getting awards buzz too. So anyways, Benedict Cumberbatch is in this. The Power of the Dog mm-hmm. plays a gay character. But my whole point is, is that why should it matter? Especially, and I think gay is a great example of it because there are so many actors who are out and gay Mm-hmm. that it's it's not like they didn't look. I'm sure they looked into it. I'm sure there were actors who were up against it. He just seemed to be the best fit. Like, Jane just chose him to do it. Yeah. And why does that have to be such a point of contention? I think the conversation should be more of, like, if he wasn't the best fit, and there is somebody who is better, did that person get the same opportunity that Benedict Cumberbatch did? And I think that's more the issue than, like, who are we hiring? I think that issue could be more about, like, race than anything. Yeah. Like, I think Scarlett Johansson playing an Asian woman in Ghost in the Shell, that's, that's not cool. Not cool, no. Right? Emma Stone playing a Asian woman, woman in, Aloha. in Aloha, not cool. She apologized. <laughs> yeah, sure. But And Jake Gyllenhaal playing an, playing an Arab person in Prince of Persia, not cool. 
because oh, you know for a fact there are those variety of actors out there. Yes. You're just not looking hard enough for them. Mm-hmm. But even I can say that Jake Gyllenhaal needs to bring in, that's a, like a $100 million movie. You hire Jake Gyllenhaal for Jake Gyllenhaal. You're not because you want someone white. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? There is There is a subtle difference there. And is a Persian actor, bear with me, is a Persian actor going to be able to bring in the same amount of money that Jake Gyllenhaal is? And if that is your limitation, are you even going to make that movie? Mm. Do you know? And like, would Wait Until Dark get made today? Because if you have to hire a blind person and you can't find a blind person to make this, are you just passing over such a great story? I think it would, if I was making it today, like let's say, I think it would work with a blind person. And like, if I was the casting director or producer if i was Mm -hmm. the one making this i would look for like an ingenue type to kind of play this role elizabeth debicki no she's not blind i would look for someone a blind ingenue a blind ingenue that sounds so terrible (laughs) (laughs) but i i would be purposeful in looking for that because i i can understand the importance of honoring that in the role itself I think it could bring something to it too. But then those three surrounding characters, those I would hire maybe like bigger names for it. I don't know. And my promotional like material would be based off those three main people. And then like when people watch it, they would just be taken away with my blind ingenue and they would just love her and throw all the awards at her. Your blind ingenue. <laughs> yes, my blind ingenue. <laughs> It's the new title of our episode, <laughs> My Blind Ingenue. I think there's obviously like a conversation to be had about hiring differently abled people. Mm-hmm. Uh, is her name Mary Matlin from Children of Lesser God? Marley Matlin? One. Marley Matlin, yeah. yeah. So she, and she was in Seinfeld. Yeah. She is obviously one of a small selection of people who have been differently abled and have managed to, you know, get so far. Mm-hmm. But that was also because she was playing a deaf mute person yeah. in that movie. And I think that role required it. I don't know. I, I like, I don't know if it was required to be a blind person in mm. this. But I, I can understand people's concerns because like, look, like I never saw anyone that looked like me on TV or movies growing up. And I feel not like I'm at a disadvantage, but just like, it would be nice. And so I can imagine there are people out there that there are blind people who have probably, you know, heard about this movie and would wish that somebody was in that role that was actually knew their experience. Yeah. You wanted me to slip up so bad. No, I thought you might. And I was just like, oh, how is she going to do this? Mm-mm. I caught no, you myself. did it very nicely. I just think it gets, I think it, it's getting into a slippery slope of a place. Yeah. And I think when we're talking, when we're getting down to, we're getting so pedantic about whether, again, whether a straight person could play a gay person or vice versa. I, I think it's just you were losing sight of what we're trying to achieve in mm-hmm. telling stories. And we're getting down to, well, it's only this person who's going to play this person. And like visibility and all of that. And I don't know. And I get I get that. Unless you give Laver- Laverne Cox a chance, like there's not going to be a place for trans men or women, generally speaking, right? Like you have to start somewhere. I understand that. But I don't know. I don't know how I fully it's, feel. Yeah, it's a hard thing to maneuver. And I mean, we're not in charge, so we don't really need to worry about it. That's somebody uh, Somebody else gets paid a lot of money to worry about that stuff. I mean, I hope to be in charge of that one day. So. Okay, yeah. <laughs> Wishful thinking. Before we get to your sequel prequel ideas. Yes. I want to talk about the thing I want to talk about. Okay. Alan Arkin. Oh my gosh, I'm so glad we got there. Because I was worried. I was like, Are we going to skip over... <laughs> 
Alan Arkin. I think Alan Arkin is the single best movie villain there ever was with this movie. And so underrated. So underrated. And I was reading reviews from the time Mm -hmm. and people thought he wasn't good as a villain. They thought he was like too pokey. And I was like, do you not? But you know what I realized? We know Alan Arkin today. We know like Little Miss Sunshine, Alan Arkin, like the grandpa that you love, (laughs) but like is so snarky and grumpy. But yeah. you still just want to like hug him. And so to see him in this role is such a like a mind. It blew my mind. <laughs> no, I remember when I first saw this. Yeah. With my parents. I was actually afraid of this man. I was like oh. actively like this movie. I remember this is a movie that kept me up at night. It was oh. he was frightening. That performance so is so good. It, there's just so much good about it. It's from like his look to how he performs it to like how he talks. Mm. There's this like cavalier disregard for anything he like he doesn't, doesn't give, give a, a shit he shit, wants his yeah. arrow and that's it <laughs> he's like i don't care that she's blind i don't yeah, care that doesn't. there's people living i'm going to kill doesn't. them and get my hair he not he wants whatever he wants when he wants it and it's just so it's so good i love yeah. alan arkin in this he is the defining performance of this film but then also like when he comes back in and he pretends to be like mr Rote looking for his wife yeah who might have been having an affair with her husband. I didn't even realize that it was him oh, really? playing Mr. Rowe. I had to like look back for a second. Yeah. It's like the voice still sounds like Alan Arkin. Yeah, and it does. For him to be able to like play, it's not even two different characters. He's just like in a disguise as yeah, one exactly. of the characters. But it's so convincing. It reminded me the first time I saw um, Ocean's Eleven. And you see, like, Brad Pitt as the doctor that comes to, like, um, oh, yeah, yeah, take a... Yeah. Who, who's having that? Saul. Saul's having yeah, Saul. a heart attack. I had to... I did a double take of, like, is that Brad Pitt playing the yeah. doctor? Yeah. And it's it's just... it It's so good in it. Like, I it caught my eye, and I really liked that. No, I, I, I love Alan Arkin. I love it. This. It's an Audrey Hepburn movie, but Alan Arkin steals it. He needs an Oscar for this. He does. He really did. Yeah. He really deserved it. Did he get one for Argo? He got it for Little Miss Sunshine. Did he, though? Mm-hmm. It wasn't Argo? Best Supporting Actor. He was nominated for Argo, but he won it for Little Miss Sunshine. Okay. Well, okay, Little Miss Sunshine is fair, too, because he... He's really good in he that. He's the heart of that movie. Yeah. <laughs> Not absolutely. Abigail Breslin, I'm sorry. No, she's really cute, though, in that, too. Yeah, but it's... But, like, Grandpa. <laughs> That's his character name, Grandpa. Yeah, it is Grandpa. <laughs> Do you have sequel for Gladius? Um, I want to know what happens to Gloria. Like, where is Gloria today? How old was she when in this movie? Like... 12? 12? 10? 12, yeah. In 67? She was precocious. So how old can you be when you're precocious? It's Sorry, it's really weird. You just used that word because I was telling my seven-year-old niece <laughs> precocious. That she's precocious? I She has this like dictionary yeah. and um, she was like, what's your favorite word? And I was like, serendipity. And mm-hmm. she, it's not, it's a kid's dictionary. So the word serendipity yeah. is not in there. She's like, what's another one? And I was like, precocious, because you are. And she couldn't find it. But anyway, <laughs> <laughs> I think like up until you're 10, you can be precocious. I feel like okay. that's a good range. Yeah. So maybe she's not precocious. That's fair. But Gloria, she's a fireball. And I <laughs> I want to know where she is today, how this affected her. I think like maybe she becomes a detective because she's like maybe. so interested in like yeah. solving these mysteries or it sparks this like fascination with crime and she becomes a criminal like wrote. But I really like her line when her last line is like, 
I wish things like this happened every day. Yeah. It's so cute. <laughs> and she delivers it at like the right point. It's like really, it's really nice. And I think maybe I think she goes in the other direction. I think she becomes a crime fighter. A crime fighter, not a criminal? Yeah. No. Maybe she's like Detective Olivia Benson. <laughs> I think a prequel idea in yeah. a parallel universe would be the romantic drama of how, what is Audrey Hepburn's name in this? Hendrix is the last name. Right. Sam is her husband. I can't believe, because you referred to her as Audrey Susie. Hepburn the whole time. Susie. Susie. How Susie and Sam met, and then how she became blind, and then yeah. how, like, his reco- her recovery and all of that. Yeah, I and if a... Sam is actually, like, a good husband or not. Yeah, because in this, it's hard to tell. Is he's a dick. cheating? I don't understand. <laughs> I, he's not. I don't think he's cheating, but he's definitely really hard on her, she's and she's really him. codependent on him. But I, yeah, I mean, we don't know their history, right? So like, he Which could be really at his breaking reveal. point right now, because that's a lot to take on. That's true. Yep. I am going to give my rating before we get to yours. Okay, that's fair. Okay. I really like this. It's just a fun <laughs> movie. Like, I don't know what else to tell you. It's hard to explain. And I also don't want to get into, like, the minutia of it. Because a lot of the fun is how it kind of unravels. <gasps> but wait. Oh. Is this, like, the best jump cut in cinematic history? That jump is amazing. That, that jump cut. Yeah. And we'll just that leave jump, it at that. Yeah. That jump is amazing. There's it's a really... point in this movie where you're going to be like, oh, my God. <laughs> you do- Did you jump? I jumped. Yeah. <laughs> in my it's bed. Like, it's the perfect cut and the perfect shot and the music with it it's just like (gasps) it really catches you you really jump i remember like actually jumping too it's amazing yeah and it really builds to that moment right Mm -hmm. like the whole sequence so anyways i don't want to get too much into it because the climax is so much fun to experience it really is this blind woman is going through so much and she's so weak and she literally starts to build her confidence and her strength in front of you. And when it turns and she realizes how she can do this, you're, you're literally her cheerleader. Like, yes, Lizzie, we can do this. It's like really, it's really empowering to watch. It's a really fun film. It reminds me in many ways of like a Bollywood film, like a good Bollywood film in that, like when the ingredients all line up, even the things you don't like don't matter. Hmm. like the fat in this the middle section where they're trying to create the story for to, to mess with her and you're kind of just like okay let's get on with it when it gets to the end when it gets to a good song sequence when it gets to the emotional moment whatever it is in a bollywood movie you're just like oh that was totally worth it that was totally it was so satisfying to experience mm-hmm. and this is this movie is so satisfying to end and I was, I'll be honest, I was kind of half watching this. And then I get to the climax and I'm like, oh, I'm here. I'm like all here for it. And I actually watched it twice because it's so much fun to watch. Yeah. So this is my favorite Audrey Hepburn movie, bar none. It deserves your time. And what I love about it is that you probably haven't heard about it. Yeah. It's not that popular. It's not that famous. It's a little unknown. And it's unknown enough to fly under the radar and surprise you over and over again. And for that, it gets four stars. Vow, G vow. Yeah. Uh, my turn? Yeah. Okay. So as you were talking, I was just thinking about something. And I recently watched The Woman in the Window, which is on Netflix. Oh, did you? Yeah. I heard it's bad. It's not great at all. No. Yeah. And I was thinking about that and this. And they follow not similar storylines, but the intentions are really similar mm-hmm. of like Woman in the Window wants to be a thriller that you're kind of trying to figure out this mystery along the way and there's like an unreliable narrator and all that stuff. And what Women in the Window fails to do but is done so well in Wait Until Dark is actually captivate the audience and have them 
forget about all the plot holes that are in this story Mm -hmm. and just follow along with all of the excitement that's occurring and all the action that's there. And like, I would even say this is like an action thriller because (laughs) there's a lot of, you know, moments in this where you're just like, well, what's going to happen next? And you're kind of jumping along, especially that climax part. And so what Woman in the Window could take away from this is like, how do you get your audience to sort of put the story to the wayside and really follow along with the character and the heart that's there. And it does not do that at all. But this is not a review of Woman in the Window. This is a review for Wait Until Dark, which not until just this moment, I actually like just changed my my number in my head. Really? Because, yeah, just think, I was thinking like this is a, it's a hard genre to pull off. Mm -hmm. And there are a lot of thrillers out there that are just like not exciting at all and don't actually like motivate you and so walking into this i was like a little on the lower side just because i felt like i did there's those plot holes that we pulled out Mm -hmm. that i just couldn't follow along but when i think about like what my actual gut emotions were when i was watching this i was like very excited and i was Mm -hmm. following along and wanting to like see what was going to happen next and like you said like championing Susie and -hmm. making and like knowing that her weaknesses are not weaknesses they're actually her strengths and there's so much emotional, there's so much emotion behind the movie as well that you don't quite realize until you're like actually thinking about it. And I think that's really like sneaky and a smart way of pulling that off. So initially I was going to go three and a half, but I'm going to go with four as well. Oh, very nice. Yeah. And I, I, you know, when I think about Audrey Hepburn and her lexicon, I haven't watched a lot of her movies like since I was younger. Yeah. And so I do want to revisit. And I think... You know, you said that I'm not that girl, but I think when I was younger, I was that girl. Okay. <laughs> yeah. And maybe I want to, because like I did have that nostalgia with Roman Holiday, but I think that's a really specific movie yeah. because I do have like very like memories with my dad with watching it and whatnot. Yeah, and so I kind of want to go back and see some of her other movies that I did really like when I was younger and see mm-hmm. if I still have those feelings. Because after watching this, I... I've seen her differently now. I have never seen her in a role like this before. And while there are those moments where I do find her to be a little bit melodramatic, she does really pull this off well. Yeah. Yeah. And I think one thing I didn't mention is the rewatchability of this. Mm, yes. Like it's- you can really watch this over and over and it has a it has a quality about it that makes you like you know it. And like even though the climax you're anticipating things, that in that excitement of anticipation, that is rare in a rewatch. And this movie really captures it. So honestly, if you haven't seen Wait Until Dark, please go find it. Please go watch it. You really will enjoy it. This is a movie I recommend to people who are like, I want something different. And I'm like, oh, there's this movie from the 60s that you will think is boring, but give it time. You do have to rent it, though. You do, because it's that small. Yep, yep. But yes, that was Wait Until Dark. It was. But Mita, you said one thing. And before Mm. we segue into our next sequence, this is kind of where we're going. This is my last movie before spooky season. And spooky I picked it season. for a reason because I'm segueing into my horror movie picks. I'm so excited. Yes. Yes. But enough about this, Mita. Yes. It is time for different characters. Same, same world. But about it was What okay. am I watching? Um, okay, so I'm gonna give you the clues. Mm-hmm. This one was tricky. I'm going to give you the clues and see if you can get it. Yeah, we're going to go this way and then I'll explain after. Is this the same one? Because I'm actually editing Goodwill Hunting right now. And you mentioned, because you did not want to watch Goodwill Hunting, but you're very excited about this pick? 
I am very excited about this pick. This okay. is true. Yes. But it, it's it's tricky to play this game with. So okay. I had to like find a solution. Sure. Okay. Yeah. I was being resourceful. Okay. okay. So your characters. Are you ready? I am. Dr. Beth Garner, Joan Crawford, and Gertie. Oh, God. I know all of these names, and they're so frustrating. And your timer okay. starts now. Did Joan Crawford, are we talking about Susan Sarandon or Jessica no. Lange? No. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Jessica Lange. Yep. Gertie. And who's the first one? Dr. Beth. Garner. Is that from The Fugitive? No, but that's like a good uh, era to stay in. 30 seconds. Jessica Lange. Am I watching like Terms of Endearment or? No. Am I going to get this? You probably won't. And okay. I'll explain after too. You got 10 seconds left. Dr. Beth. Garner. Garner. And Gertie. Gertie Gertrude. I know that one. That's That one's going to piss me off. Okay. I'm not going to get this. Okay. Time's up. Okay, okay. So Dr. Beth Garner is Jean Triplehorn in Basic Instinct. Oh. Oh, I wouldn't have gotten that. Okay. Jessica Lang is Joan Crawford in Feud with Joan and Betty. Yeah. And then Gertie is Drew Barrymore in E.T. Oh, what am I watching? So Drew Barrymore. Jessica Lang. So this is where it gets tricky. Dream Triple Horn. (laughs) Yeah. Try guessing and then. You're going to say something and I'm going to. I think this is when Drew Barrymore was young. No. So we're. So the the clues that I gave you. Oh, I'm not watching Grey Gardens. So (laughs) you're not. Yes and no. (laughs) You're not watching the Grey Gardens starring Drew Barrymore, Jessica Lange. I'm watching the Grey Gardens documentary. We are watching the Grey Gardens documentary. Oh. Yeah. Okay. Yes. KKK. KKK. I'm very excited about this. Okay. I love Camelot. I love the Kennedys. I love. <laughs> I I love oh. this documentary, and so I I'm excited for you to see it because I know you've seen Grey Gardens, the HBO movie. Yeah, yeah. I, <laughs> we had HBO for a while while Game of Thrones was on, mm-hmm. and Grey Gardens would would for some reason be on all the time. So yeah. I have never seen Grey Gardens end to end, but I've seen the whole thing. Mm, if that okay. makes sense like i've yes. seen it piecemeal well we're we're watching the real stuff okay yeah i think the i watched material i'll be honest i watched like bits and pieces from this mm-hmm. documentary but i haven't watched it in tent well you're in for a real treat all right we're gonna meet little edie and big edie <laughs> there we go yep okay okay I'm that'll be interesting yeah that's your second documentary pick me that's interesting i like a documentary yeah a good you documentary. should know this about me i do you like good true crime i do th- i mean We'll get into it next week. <laughs> we'll get into it. Yes. Okay. Before okay. we get to Grey Gardens. Yes. Mitha, do you have any parting words for us? Yes. How would you like to do something difficult and terribly dangerous? No, that was I can't terrible. Do it. Can I do it again? I'm not going to do it like her. I'm not going to do it like her. No, I'm keeping that. That's it. That's what no. <laughs> I tried to do Audrey, but then like a little bit of like... Catherine Hepburn was coming it, yeah, it actually started more Catherine Hepburn, Audrey Hepburn's mother. No, and then stop it. it got, stop telling that lie. And then the, the how do you was really Catherine Hepburn. Yeah. And then eventually you kind of got to Audrey. How, how would oh. you like? I don't know what happened there. Really it's really hard. She enunciates every she single word. Yeah. Too much. I love that line, though. Yeah. 
How would you like to do something difficult and terribly dangerous? Also, you're hearing it right now, but the Wait Until Dark song that plays over the credits is so 1970s. I love it. It's so 70s. Wait <laughs> Thank you so much for listening, friends. Please like, subscribe, share, and rate and review. And we will see you next week for Grey Gardens. Bye. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to Movies to Watch Before the End of the World, sponsored by No One. You can follow us on Instagram at Movies to Watch Pod, on Twitter at Movies the Number Two Watch Pod, on the TikTok at Movies to Watch Pod, or send us an email at Movies to Watch Pod at gmail.com. As always, keep your pants on and don't forget to smell the Kevin Bacon. Disappear, the